You're listening to Unravel, the podcast, where we go behind and beyond stories featured at our monthly live show. From Shanghai, I'm your host, Clara Davis. been a swimmer my whole life and I was always a sprint freestyler like the shortest event possible then I moved to China and about a year later I did my first open water swim and for me that was an entirely new ball game actually like getting to swim from place to place encounter different obstacles especially in a place like China you never knew really what you were signing up for when you signed up for an open water swim one swim I did was up in the mountains of Qinghai and it was a river of snowy mountain runoff so the water is barely above freezing temperature. I couldn't feel my feet for about four hours afterwards. Another race I did was in North China, a 10K, just swimming through fields of jellyfish. Today's episode features Lauren Tinanenko, an American transplant and lifelong swimmer who really upped the ante when she touched down in Shanghai two and a half years ago. She's broken more than a few records, and when she got on stage for our March show, Waves, a very apt theme for her, she told us the story of her attempt to be the first foreigner to swim from mainland China to Hainan, the tropical paradise island and Chinese province just south of Guangdong. She definitely has one of the most unique perspectives on China that I've encountered, just given the experiences she's had swimming through its open water. You'll hear more of Lauren's story throughout the episode, and we hope you enjoy my conversation with her. Your story is all about swimming. It's very hard for me to wrap my brain around because it triggers a lot of my <laughs> serious, deep-held fears around drowning, open water, sharks, like marine life, etc. How did you get into swimming in the first place? When did that become your thing? Yeah, so I lived in Australia when I was young and had a pool in our backyard. Sort of everyone swims in Australia. They kind of make you in school. But my dad was also a swimmer when he was young. So he was like trying to get us to go on the swim team. I I mean, I didn't really like it when I was young. Like you don't want to wake up early and go jump in a pool. Like it's not that much fun for you as a kid. But then like over time, I was still I kept at it and then eventually started to like it, then finally started getting good at it, and then it was a lot more fun for me. And when did you guys go back to America? Um moved back to America when I was in second grade. And then went right into a swim team there. Had a really good swim team in Arkansas, where I'm from. And then I think around like age 14, I was like, I want to swim in college. This is the sport I want to do. Because before that, I was doing a few different sports. But I knew I had to focus on one. Talk us through having that routine in college. What was that like to be your college existence? It's it's funny because it's like so different from everyone else's college experience. You see these people just like going out during the week, like drinking and stuff. We had to wake up at 5.30 every morning, probably at the latest. I think it was even earlier than that, to be at the pool at, in the water at 6 a.m., and then we'd swim till like 8.30. We practiced for four hours a day, so we'd come back in the afternoon also and either do like weights or another swimming 
I can imagine that could really burn you out. Yeah. What were you feeling like when you graduated, especially when it came to swimming? I mean, so I didn't want to just give it up completely, but I was just just ready to be off that tight schedule of it. And because my dad is a swimmer, and so, like, when I would go back and stay with my parents and we'd go swimming together, like, so I wasn't just, like, completely just out of it, but it was just so nice to not have the morning practice and the afternoon practice every single day. How long have you been in Shanghai, and what brought you here in the first place? So I've been here for about two and a half years now. Um, at the end of university, I was just like, I want to go travel because I saw all these people studying abroad in university and I couldn't because I was on the swim team. So I was like, how can I travel right after university? And then somehow found teaching overseas. When you do some Google searches, you find teach in China. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I thought, OK, yeah, sure. I'm going to try that for one year. And my plan was one year. Go back. My friend who knew that I liked these events was like, did you know that there is a swim you can do from South Mainland China to Hainan Island? And it's not like a race. It's like a swimming attempt, just you in a boat, kind of like China's version of swimming the English Channel. And I was like, I'm sold. I'm going to do it. How do I do that? How far is it? I don't know. So I messaged this guy I have on WeChat, and he has a swimming organization in Shenzhen. And I say, hey, I want to swim to Hainan. He says, okay, I can organize it. He said the best time was like June or July. And this was last November that I was messaging him. I said, how about December, next month? Um, he checks the tide charts. He says there's a low tide on December 4th. Can you do that? And he also said that no foreigner has ever done this before. So if I completed it, I would be the first foreigner. So I was like, yeah, let's go. Let's, let's do that. Also, um, how, how far is that swim? And he said, it is 25 kilometers. And so I'm American. I get on Google, 25 kilometers, how many miles? 15 and a half miles. I was like, okay, that's a lot. Um, Sure, yeah, let's do it. I was not in shape for this kind of event at this time at all. But mentally, I was all there. That level of determination and drive and her let's do it attitude put Lauren on a crash course with a record-breaking swim. Now, she just had to figure out how to get ready to swim 15 miles in a month's time. I wanted to know more about how she got into the swimming scene here in Shanghai and what sets it apart from her experiences back in America. And I asked her about the other memorable swims she's taken on along the way. And when you came to China, what what were you? Th- did you have any intention of getting in a pool or a body of water? No, because <laughs> I tried going to a public pool once. So China has a lot of things really figured out. Public pools aren't one of them. So it's like in America, it's like common courtesy. You stay on the right side, like driving. You know, if everyone stays on the right, we can all swim together happily. It'd be fine. But everyone just swims in the middle of the lane. You just have to fight people. Like, it's throwing fists. I, I think the first time I went, I swam for about 20 minutes, and I was like, 
okay, done. So I started finding running races and then realized there's a pretty big triathlon community. So I was racing some of those and then, yeah, through that found some swimming only races and then just started doing more of the swimming races because I realized, I mean, I like triathlons. I'm okay at triathlons, but I'm better at swimming. <laughs> you talk about those triathlons pretty casually. <laughs> Can you talk us through what that means to train for or compete in a triathlon? It's it's also a lot of time to train for triathlons because you're not just training for one thing. It's basically three different sports. Had you ever swam open water before competitively? Uh, not so much just open water races. Just in the triathlon, I had swam in open water, but none that was like a 10K open water swim. That was something I hadn't really... I mean, I just didn't really know that they existed, especially in China. I didn't think that they would have those kind of races. What was the first open water race you did here? The first one um, was that one that I talked about in my story, the one in Qinghai. And I had never even swam in cold water before, but that water was, I think, five degrees Celsius, like barely above freezing. And it just like, it shocked me completely. <laughs> like I jumped in, I just remember like thinking, what am I doing? Like this would not be legal in the United States. Like this is dangerous. <laughs> What was, what was your health insurance like at this point? <laughs> Probably didn't have any. <laughs> okay. Any other, any other wild uh, swim anecdotes you can share with us? Um, I tell this story whenever people ask, like, what's it like when they ask for foreigners to come to the races? Because um, so someone put out on a WeChat group they needed foreigners for a race across a river. And so it reminded me of the Qinghai one, which I really enjoy. So I signed up for it. They didn't properly register the foreigners team. So we weren't in the race. We were in the fun swim. And the fun swim was just you get in the river. You essentially float down the river. Like, we're with the current. So you actually don't have to swim at all. You just have to float down and then get out at the end. And I just remember I was actually swimming. So I was, like, passing these groups of, like, just old Chinese men just out there for their, you know, their Sunday float down the river. I think, like, one even pulled out a cigarette, was smoking a cigarette. He was like, come over, like, take a picture with us. No, we're supposed to be swimming in this. And, yeah, it was just everything about that race. They also told us to swim with our—they said on the way there, they said, do you have your passport? I said, where are we putting our passport? He said, in your buoy. So you swim with, like, a little orange buoy, but— I was like, I don't think that's safe for a passport to be in there. Like, water could get... Okay, sure. So we did. (laughs) We had to put our passports in our buoy. and I fly to Shenzhen. We meet this man that I have, I'm friends with on WeChat, Mr. Chen. And then we meet the rest of the crew. There was a doctor slash translator. He was the only one who spoke English in the group. There was a lady whose only job was to live stream the whole thing on video on WeChat because China. There was a fisherman who was going to be the boat driver. And then last but not least, my favorite, his name was Panda. He was going to be the kayaker, so I couldn't really have the boat in front of me because it would blow too many fumes in my face. So I had a kayaker who was going to just give me food and water and sort of guide me. 
on the swim. So then we go to sleep, wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning to be ready for a 5.30 a.m. start for this swim, including Marissa, who thought she was on a beach vacation. <laughs> so it's 5.30 a.m., I'm at the shore, I jump in the water, start swimming. It is pitch black at 5.30 a.m. So I'm in this water, like, I don't know what creatures are underneath me, I don't know what people dump in the water, but it was also amazing because I'm swimming under more stars than I've ever seen in Shanghai before. And then like an hour and a half in, I'm watching the sun rise over the ocean, really enjoying myself, having a great time. And I'm like, okay, I should be, I should be staying hydrated, right? So I call out, Panda, Shui. Panda looks in his kayak and says, Mayo Shui. Now I'm thinking, Zemashua, Panda, you had one job. Thirsty in the middle of a 15-mile swim through the ocean sounds like my actual living nightmare, and I still can't believe the level of fortitude and physical and mental strength with which Lauren managed to apply to this and all the physical tests she has put herself up against in and out of the water. I talked to Lauren about that memorable character Panda, what the swim meant to her in hindsight, and the difference between swimming against opponents and swimming against yourself. A real, a real character favorite in the story was was good old Panda. Yeah. Can you can you tell us about your relationship with him following the swim and where does it stand now? I wish everyone could meet Panda because he's just one of those people that you can't really describe. You just have to meet him. He's one of a kind. I haven't spoken to him in a bit. I should check up on how he's doing. <laughs> he did message me, and I think it was right before Chinese New Year. They were doing, like, an awards for, like, all the um, groups that did the the straight crossing. And it was like you could vote for, like, the best um, helper, like, best everything. And he said, can you vote for me? I was like, of course, Panda. <laughs> you are number one. Wait, first of all, there's an award for straight Crossers, yeah, yeah it's like for the committee. It wasn't even like to do with the swimmers at all. So, he, so there's no awards for the actual swimmers <laughs> no who swam, just for their their support team. I, I I do like that. How big is that community? Was Panda one of I think there few were or one of many five that were like you could choose from. Maybe they were already selected. They're kind the of like your straight ones. Sherpa. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I just remember one of the first things he translated to me. I was going to say said to me, but he didn't really. He couldn't really say much to me. So he was saying that he was going to be kayaking, and I was like, well, kayaking also take, you know, for a long distance, that takes a lot of effort, too. But he looked like he was in good shape. But he translated to me, like, um, it said, you and I are athletes. Everyone else is soy sauce. I don't know what that was supposed to, like, maybe that translates from something that (laughs) makes sense. I still don't know what he meant. I think he was saying, like, everyone else on the boat, like, is just a condiment? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I really don't know. He's oh, a character. Um, now that there's some time between you and that Hainan swim that we all got to hear about. Yes. What does what does it mean to you? What did that what did that swim do for you? Um, overall it was just such a cool experience. 
being able to tell that story and it's just something that you know not many people have have gone through I actually had um, someone message me on Facebook who is huge in the swimming community she has some Guinness World Records for swimming and she said that she read about my swim and wants to do it because she hadn't heard of any foreigners doing it so she thought that maybe it wasn't possible and so she saw my article and said can you tell me how I get signed up for that how do I do that so I thought that was so cool and also just being able to tell um, like these Chinese swimmers that I meet because they all know about that swim so if you tell them you've done it like it gets you sort of some street cred in the swimming world because so many people just know that that's a, a challenging swim to do. What is the difference for you between swimming these open water races where you're competing against others versus an open water challenge race where you're just competing against yourself like you were swimming to Hainan? I mean, yeah, they are both very different. But I guess like here, there's not, you know, at home you had people that you knew that you're like, oh, this person's faster than me. I want to beat them. But here it's like, I don't know these people's backgrounds. I was kind of upset that some people beat me at one race and then I realized that they were like Russian professionals so they like they don't have jobs they're just professional swimmers and I said okay that makes me feel a little better (laughs) this is like their whole life but yeah for the Hainan swim I would have preferred if there were other people with me it just kind of helps to have the energy someone yeah, yeah the motivation I guess there. I'm really excited. I'm like, okay, we're on the downhill from here. All right. I'm like trying to eat about like once every hour, which is easier said than done in a swim because in open water swimming, you're not allowed to just like stop and hold on to the boat. You have to keep swimming. You can't touch anything. So I'm like trying to eat and like kick on my back and then keep swimming. So it's hard, but I have to keep my energy up. And then, so we could get to about six hours and I'm I am tired. This is when I realized I probably should have trained for a swim like this. (laughs) So my shoulders are hurting so bad. I can feel the sun just beating down on me, draining my energy. I swear the waves are getting so much, so much bigger, and I'm just fighting through them. And then, so I ask Panda. I say, Panda, how much more? And he says, Hayo Igongli. And I'm like, one kilometer. Okay, I don't see land, but all right. Yeah, one kilometer. I can do that no matter how much it hurts. I can do this. Okay. And then an hour passes. And I'm like, Panda, how much more? Hayo igongli. And then 30 more minutes. Hayo igongli. I'm like, okay, Zemashua, Panda, why are you a liar? And I... I'm really struggling. Like, I didn't know how much more I had left, obviously. Um, I think my goggles were leaking. Uh, Okay, no, I was was definitely crying a little bit. Um, And I'm just like, okay, Lauren, you don't have to do this. No one's making you do this except yourself. No one's going to be mad at you if you don't finish this. It's okay if you just quit. And then I was like, okay, no. No one will be mad at me. No one will care but I will. I have put myself through some intense athletic challenges before, and I have never quit one. It will kill me if I have to get on that boat and if I have to give up now. 
I am going to finish this. So I put my head down and I am fighting through the waves. I am trying to get there. And then finally, I see some land. Lauren fought through the fatigue and the pain and made it to land, making her the first foreigner to successfully swim from mainland China to Hainan Island and making for a pretty incredible story. I talked to her about the big goal she's chasing next, and I wanted to know more about what building this swimming career and community here has meant to her and her relationship with China. What was this? Uh, what about this? What's this six-hour qualifying swim for, Lauren? What you got? What you got planned? Uh, yeah. So um, to swim the English Channel, which I'm doing in June, yeah, you have to submit like that you did a six-hour qualification, and it has to be in 16 degrees or colder water. And how does the English Channel swim work exactly? <laughs> okay, so the process is like, first you have to find, um, they call them pilots, but like a guy that's going to be in a boat with you. I'm sort of like on my high end swim. And then you can bring two people to like help and like give you food, give you whatever. So my dad is coming and my sister will probably also be on the boat because I can only have two people. So mom might not get to come. <laughs> So the boat is next to me, and I'm swimming from England to France, 35K, but also depending on, like, the current and everything, it might be a little bit longer. Like, I heard that there was one lady that took, like, 40-something hours because she just went off track, so I'm hoping that's not me. Did she also have a boat? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know how she went so far off track, but I think if the wind just blows you one way and you, you aren't strong enough to, like, fight the current and go the right way... And then the currents change all the time. And what's the expected uh, time for you to do something like that? I don't. Um, I would guess it's going to take me about thirteen hours. But I also don't want to really put a goal on it because if the weather is crazy and don't don't state your goal <laughs> on this podcast, we're not holding you to anything. <laughs> but yeah, so my swim's in June, and that's why I wanted to do the really cold, like exaggeratedly cold swim because um, June the water is going to be colder, and that's a lot of the people who have problems finishing the channel is because they get hypothermia. Do you know how many people swim it a year? A lot of people attempt it a year. Um, I'm not sure total numbers on how many have finished it. I know fewer people have completed it than have climbed Mount Everest. So That not, is not so a- crazy. <laughs> yeah. It was one of those things that you hear about that you're like, that would be really cool. And so I knew that I wanted to try it someday. So then one day I was like, why am I waiting? Even though I I knew it would be so much harder to train in China for it. What is it that keeps you here? If you could be elsewhere doing that more freely or more safely. (laughs) I think if I was somewhere that it was easy to get to, it wouldn't be as fun. So it is the story. It is the adventure that that draws you to it here. Yeah. What has swimming and training in China taught you about China that you wouldn't have learned otherwise? So much. Mostly that Chinese swimmers are the friendliest people I've ever met. Only three people from China have ever swam the channel. Wow. But um, there's another guy who signed up to swim in August. Okay. So I sort of got connected with him. He doesn't really speak English, but we're good friends now. <laughs> so yesterday I texted him and I said, I want to go to some lake in Pudong 
to train? And he said, oh, I know a better one. And I said, okay, I also want to get used to swimming in the dark. So he said, okay, meet me at 3 a.m. So we, I met him at 3 a.m. this morning. We drove to, <laughs> to Kunshan. <laughs> to, I swam in a lake in Kunshan for four hours. At 3 a.m. this morning? Yeah. <laughs> well, we started oh at, like, or I started at 4 a.m. Wow. It's really a remarkable relationship that you've gotten to build with, you know, a community and a sport here. I, yeah. I, I just, I, I've never met anyone who's done something like this <laughs> here or anywhere, but especially here. There's just, there's so many compounding factors. There's so many reasons why this would be so hard or unthinkable to do here. Yeah. Well, I mean, the community here is really good also. Like, so I started the swim team because... A lot of people were saying, oh, there's a team for biking, there's group rides, there's stuff. There's so many running groups, there's no swimming group. And I said, well, okay, there's a reason for that. Pools are pretty difficult to like get some lanes to get a group together. But um, finally just realized if no one else was going to do it, I should do it myself. Added all those people who had been asking about it to one group message and then said, okay, we have a team, let's figure this out. Finally found a pool and now we have like 120-something people in our group. And what's the demographic of the, of the team? Who, who comes out for this? Um, it's a, mostly foreigners, some Chinese. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a lot of triathletes or people who just used to swim and want to get back in shape and get back in it. I want to know how, like, how big a thing is competitive swimming for for the Chinese. It seems like it's something, is it something that's emerging? Is it something that's, you know, kind of been sustained for a little while? I think it's definitely on the rise. When you go to these events, um, there are a lot of older people doing it, but I think it's like a new hobby for them also. So, I mean, there's young people and older people, but yeah, I think a lot of the older people are just realizing that it's like good for them. Like, I mean, it's it's a good sport, like good on your joints, easy for people to do. What is your relationship with like winning? What do you get out of winning a race or, or, or beating a record for yourself? Winning a race isn't as big for me because like I said, you don't know if these are professionals that you're racing, like especially in China, you just don't know who these people are that you're racing. But I mean, it's, it always feels good to beat yourself and beat something that you've done before. It just shows that you've been working harder. Do you have any people in your in your life who help you kind of like set these goals or, or help motivate you to achieve them? Or is this something, is this like a really internal process? Um, it's mostly internal. I mean, my, my dad also like is big into triathlons and stuff. Like he got me started in triathlons in the first place. And he's also the reason that I joined the swim team. Um, but he's very competitive, like always trying to sign up for these races and stuff. So I think just growing up with that also just sort of made me want to do that kind of thing. You've got it in your bones. Wow. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm so amazed. I, I really admire <laughs> you in many ways. I'm really glad that you took the time to come in and talk to us and tell us oh, more about it. No problem. Yay. You can have me anytime. <laughs> oh, yay. After the English Channel, maybe? Oh, yeah. Come back and give us an update. And that's what a lot of people after my story at Unravel were saying, like, oh, you'll have to speak again after the English Channel. And then I was saying, well, if it's not in China, it's probably going to be organized, and then it's not as fun of a story. <laughs>
I do love that. However, I highly doubt that you <laughs> swimming the English Channel is not going to be a story worth us all hearing. Yeah. I think you have just like an open spot waiting for you. <laughs> Thanks again to Lauren for coming into the studio to talk to us about that fateful swim. And just as an update for our listeners, since telling this story and being in the studio with me, Lauren did proceed to successfully swim the English Channel, a ridiculous achievement that only a couple thousand people in the world can claim. Today you heard clips of her story, but if you'd like to hear the full version, you can check out our website at www.unravelstorytelling.com. This podcast is produced and edited by Sarah Borbor with original music and post-production by Ricardo Valdez. We're recording in the Nowness studio in the city with the can-do attitude, Shanghai. I'm your host and the founder of Unravel, Clara Davis. Thanks for being a part of our story. Next week on Unravel, hear Clement Courtney III talk to us about his experience tuning out white noise. For four years, I had amazing instructors, but I feel my true education was in engaging, charming, and disarming whiteness. So by the time I made it to Shanghai, having mostly white friends, I was like an expert-level white whisperer. <laughs>